Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome back to the Gains for Girls podcast. Uh, Super glad you guys are here. Of course, we have had athletes on the podcast. We have had parents on. I encourage you to go watch the episode with Kim Jones to hear from the perspective of a mom of an athlete who has been impacted by the movement of allowing men into women's sports. We have had coaches on a few weeks ago. We had Dave and Judy Brown, coaches out in Oregon, who bravely and courageously took a stand and resigned their coaching position after being forced to participate in the farce. But a piece we have been missing is someone actually involved in the NCAA. Um, someone who was willing to stand up to the seemingly undefeatable NCAA. Uh, today's guest is Bill Bach. He was an NCAA official. Um, his story is, is pretty incredible. Uh, he's actually an experienced litigator. Um, he has substantial experience with sports law and sports during drug testing. Uh, he was actually the general counsel of the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency for 13 years uh, he's represented clients in high-profile investigations and litigation, including Lance Armstrong. Um, so his expertise and knowledge in the fact of testosterone and how it affects the body, performance-enhancing drugs more, more broadly, um, is a valuable one. His story and how he has now left the NCAA is even more important. Uh, make sure you check out the interview here with Bill Bach. Well, Bill, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, I kind of just wanted to start by asking you about your interest in sports in general and how you got to where you are now. I uh, wasn't uh, seeing myself on the field, but always loved sport. We always had uh, whatever sport was in season, either in our family we were playing it or we had it on, on TV. And um, so after I got my law degree, um, I looked around for how I could get involved in supporting athletes um, and uh, really loved the Olympics, um, kind of had five ring fever, loved the, the whole idea of competition in the Olympics and uh, the motivation, the sacrifice that was made by athletes. And, um, and so had the opportunity to support um, some athletes that had an Olympic dream kind of on their journey, um, help them with um, just the, the diff navigating fundraising, navigating the rules. Um, and um, as that progressed, um, I'm in a, a city that has national governing bodies in addition to the NCAA, um, USA Track and Field is in Indianapolis and uh, other uh, national governing bodies in sport. And um, so I've had a lot of opportunities over the years to help athletes. And that eventually led to me being involved um, with the formation of the United States Anti-Doping Agency and serving as USADA's general counsel for 14 years, being involved with um, a lot of cases and investigations uh, regarding the use of performance-enhancing drugs in sport. And uh, but but um, you know, athletes have have always and and um, the need for a level playing field has been a big part of my career. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you got to the USADA, uh, talk about 
some of your involvement there. Um, particularly, I think the most interesting, uh, at least from what I know, is how you litigated on uh, the Lance Armstrong case. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the the Armstrong case was was one of the larger uh, cases that that we handled, but um, you know, things kind of kicked off. That USADA opened its doors in two thousand, and by um, late two thousand and two, um, two thousand and three. We were involved in the Bay Area Laboratory Cooperative case that uh, involved doping by Marion Jones and C.J. Hunter and Barry Bonds and others, and, and I spent a lot of time on on that case. Um, but the the Armstrong case kind of resulted in part from an investigation of doping and cycling uh, that USADA was involved in for a good six eight year period, um, and both before and, and after the Armstrong case. Um, but uh, whistleblowers came forward, courageous athletes, uh, some of whom who had used performance enhancing drugs. Um, we uh, were able to sit down with and give them an opportunity to kind of redeem um, their experience in the sport, uh, to come forward and tell the truth and try and set their sport of cycling back on the right track. And um, as a result, um, of working with those athletes, we were able to kind of break the so-called omerta, the 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 um, conspiracy of silence uh, that plagued cycling, where if you if you stood up, um, you got beat back down, or you didn't get allowed back into the sport if you talked about doping in the sport, um, and and so it was um, you know it took a while to convince people that um, that that was the right that honesty was the best policy and that was the right course. We had very courageous uh, young men that had uh, been on Lance Armstrong's cycling team and they knew because Lance had demonstrated it uh, that that, um, that there was a risk. Um, he was a very powerful uh, individual in the sport and people lost jobs sometimes. Uh, they, they lost opportunities um, when they got on the, on the wrong side of him. And, um, and so, um, but ultimately the truth won out and, um, we had enough witnesses that, um, eventually, um, you know, uh, the, the outcome was that, uh, that Lance Armstrong got stripped of his seven Tour de France titles, but that wasn't the most significant thing. He, he was, uh, surrounded, uh, by an entourage of people that had been in the sport for quite a long time. A team director and doctors uh, that that were running the doping program, and um, so we were fortunate to to obtain sanctions with uh, the most of uh, his closest uh, doping uh, doctors and um, the team director, and, um, and and make sure that those individuals were no longer in a position to continue to to dope other athletes, um, and then from there. Um, you know, the, the, we had the opportunity to assist anti-doping agencies in Europe, um, in a number of countries with their cases, because, um, you know, as we kept pulling the threads, uh, things kind of unwound and, and ultimately there were, there were dozens of, um, of cases that, that went forward and, um, it gave cycling an opportunity for a new start, a fresh start, a reset, um, uh, the International Federation got a new president. Um, first time uh, that that 
that there had been a contested election and, and a newcomer from outside uh, the UCI uh, had come in and, 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 and uh, uh, a, br- a British uh, individual by the name of Brian Cookson took over as, as the new head of the International Federation. And they established uh, what they called the, uh, a, a, an independent uh, cycling uh, commission uh, that, uh, that received a, a, a lot of evidence and wrote a report um, and kind of set cycling on a new path. So, um, you know, that was, um, that was really what we hoped to see because we knew that Lance Armstrong didn't start doping in cycling. He, uh, he and many others profited from it. But um, it had been going going on for a long time, and so it was important not just to pursue a case against uh, Lance Armstrong, but to pursue uh, a, an effort to really try to clean up the the sport and get to the root of some of the problems in the sport. The contrast now uh, is almost comical. Not too long ago, of course, we had um, Lance Armstrong's case really setting the precedent. The USADA's involvement in banning performance enhancing drugs. Uh, now we have the NCAA. When when I was in college, we weren't even allowed to drink Celsius, the energy drink, because they said it was a stimulant. But their policy they had in place for 12-ish years was merely 12 months of hormone replacement therapy. And that was enough to mitigate the testosterone advantages that males possessed over females and allowed them to compete in the women's category. Um, so it, it's almost comical. And so I just kind of wanted to ask you, um, before we get into the stance that you have now taken with the NCAA in your prior role with the NCAA, what about eligibility has been tested for men um, in comparison to women? Is there a big contrast there? Of course, I feel like I can see it. But from your perspective, what do you see? Yeah, uh, Riley, you're absolutely right when you um, look at the, um, the the kind of inequity and and, and a discordant way that doping is handling uh, handled compared to eligibility for a male in the female category. Um, as you say, uh, any any amount of a performance enhancing drug, if it's taken by an athlete, shows up in a test. And these are the NCAA's rules, their USADA's rules, their rules around the world in sport. Um, if if the most minute quantity of a prohibited substance is found in an athlete sample, they're uh, found to have committed a rule violation. So there is zero tolerance for any amount of performance enhancing substance to be in an, in an athlete sample. You know, contrast that with, um, with, with a male in the female category who has an enormous performance advantage. Um, and, and they, um, have, as you said, just a, a year of uh, testosterone suppression, which does next to nothing in terms of, um, mitigating the advantage of having a male body of having, uh, an enormously higher levels of testosterone through one's entire life of having, you know, a different, uh, gene structure that creates a different anatomy. Um, which, which um, allows men to have greater power and strength and speed and endurance um, to have larger hearts, you know, um, much, tend to be much taller. Um, they have enormous uh, athletic advantages. And we can, you know, talk about the science on that, talk about the statistics on that. Um, but, but it's there. And, and, um, and 
and we're not enforcing a level playing field like we do in anti-doping when it comes to protecting the female category in sport. And so that's discrimination against women. That's dramatically harmful to women. And, and it's contrary to the ideal of sport, which should be fair competition. So it seems simple enough, especially when you explain it like that. Um, but you eventually got involved with the NCAA. Uh, you were part of the NCAA committee. Um, so did this issue, the issue of, of men and women's sports, did this ever come up as an infraction discussion? Um, did you see any sort of silencing of this issue within the NCAA? Yeah, I joined the NCAA Division One Committee on Infractions in 2016. And that was really before the issue had ar arisen in any way that, that, that affected uh, sport, kind of um, to our knowledge. Um, I never, during the period of time that up until just uh, about a week or so ago when I was uh, continued to be on the committee, that, that issue didn't ever come before the committee. Um, now, we know now that the reason it didn't come before the committee is that the NCAA's rules have been consistently lax, as have um, the rules of other many other sports organizations, been very lax in terms of protecting women. Um, but um, but that uh, so it, it didn't it didn't really present as an an issue in a big way. I'd say probably until you experienced it when you competed against uh, formerly Will Thomas and now calling uh, themselves Leah Thomas uh, started competing uh, in the female category for Penn in 2022. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I want you to talk about what happened a week ago or so, because you have now become a Fox News star. Um, it's been super fun to watch what I've seen, the outpouring of support for you and the stance that you've taken. Uh, so, so tell us about that stance you've taken. Um, I, I wrote a letter. Uh, just uh, about a week ago uh, to Charlie Baker, the president of the NCAA, and to all the members of the NCAA Division I Committee on Infractions, the chair, Kay Norton, um, the managing director of the, the staff for the committee, Matt McCrook, and, um, and uh, just every, everybody that was on the committee to um, it expressed to them that I needed to, at this point, resign in protest because um, I had, since the Leah Thomas situation had arisen, um, tried to take my time uh, on the committee to have a lot of conversations with people um, to, to learn more about the NCAA's policies um, and also to watch closely its leadership, um, which tr trans um, transferred from Mark Emmer uh, to um, to Charlie Baker about a year or so ago, and I was very hopeful 
um, when Mr. Baker, form, the uh, former governor of Massachusetts, um, had uh, assumed the office because he has a reputation for fairness um, and understand that he has a daughter that, that played high school sports. So I, I was hoping that there'd be a fresh look at this issue, um, but it became apparent and, and is apparent because the, the rules have um, only been cosmetically changed, um, that, that, that no change was going to happen. And so the committee I was on is supposed to have been about ethical sport. Um, and what is happening to women is unethical. Well, it's, it's discriminatory. Um, it's, I believe, a violation of Title IX uh, protections for women, but it uh, violates the fundamental tenet of, um, uh, of sport, which is competitive fairness. If you don't have competitive fairness, you don't have, you don't have true sport. And um, so it, it, at that point, I realized I, I needed to um, just make it very clear that I couldn't continue in, the, in that role. Um, given their uh, unwillingness to, to change those policies. What was the response from the NCAA uh, or, or the other people, a part of the NCAA committee you were on? You know, the response has been, I would say, muted at this point. Um, I've, I've gotten a, a couple of emails, um, one from a staff member on, on the committee and one from a committee member uh, kind of saying, well, we'll miss you at our next meeting. Um, Appreciate your service, and that's nice. Um, but uh, but other than that, um, have have not heard from uh, the anybody at the NCAA uh, on this issue, um, and, and those comments were not on this issue. Um, so the, um, that's uh, that's okay. Um, I, I, I didn't take the step um, to do uh, to to win friends and didn't necessarily expect um, that everybody would be happy with the decision. But, um, but women are stand worth standing up for, clean uh, and true sport is worth standing up for. And, um, and so that was a, a small way in which I had an opportunity to do that. And I think, um, you know, we, we all have, a, have an opportunity um, to to stand up for for women, to stand up for anti discrimination, and and to uh, to protect uh, daughters and and uh, nieces and um, and women, uh, just by uh, doing what we can to say this is wrong. Um, we need to give women's opportunities to women. Women's sports is for women. It's not for men, and not for. Uh, individuals that, that um, have um, biological advantages that can't be replicated by women. So we need to protect women's sport. It's easier said than done, right? Making those sacrifices and taking a stand. But it's not hard. It's not hard to say something as simple as men and women are different. And each sex deserves to be protected on, on the basis of our sex. And each sex is deserving of privacy and safety and equal opportunity. That's not hard to say. And so why is it you think that whether it's the NCAA, whether it's corporate America, whether it's um, even lawyers, I mean, our government, why do you think people are so hesitant to call males and women's sports out? And really even broader than that, right? I think a lot of these, these cultural issues we're seeing, it's kind of like the, the emperor wears no clothes scenario, 
where a lot of us are seeing these things happening, but no one's willing to say it out loud. Why do you think that is? Well, I don't know if I know all the answers, but I'll give you one thought from uh, what we were talking about earlier in terms of cycling, where there was a conspiracy of silence to protect uh, the cheating that was going on. And, and it, it was fear that, that drove that um, conspiracy of silence, the so-called amerta. And I think that, that, that fear to a large extent is driving the policies of the NCAA driving the actions of university presidents and college athletic directors, fear to stand up for truth and what's right and to protect women. Once we, um, however, once a few people do stand up, once people take um, their voice and use it for, for truth and for what's right, um, change can be made. And, and um, so it, it didn't take, uh, it took about uh, about seven or eight whistleblowers in the Armstrong case uh, to 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 bring that case forward after after years of a conspiracy of silence. Um, might take a few more in in this uh, case, but um, but if people will stand up and 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 make a stand and say, "I can't condone this or support this any longer. I don't care what it costs." I'm going to stand up for truth, then I, I think we'll we'll see movement on this issue uh, throughout our society, and and uh, we'll return to policies that that uh, that that promote women, allow them to triumph, and um, are good for our our wives, our daughters, and 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 our female friends, for humanity and for God's creation, most importantly. Um, so, Bill, you are just the greatest. You are a part in making that change, a part of being willing to say, no, enough is enough. I'm not going to participate in the farce. Uh, and so for that, I know I thank you. I know my future daughter that I, I hope to have one day, she thanks you. Uh, and of course, so many others, young and old, everything in between. Uh, we need more bold people like yourself. Um, to, to make a change. Cause like you said, truth and sanity, it'll always prevail. It always does. It's just a matter of how long we allow the theatrics to continue on before truth and sanity do prevail. Um, but in the meantime, here we are. Um, and I'm glad and honored really to be in this fight with you. So thank you, Bill. Thank you, Riley. Thank you for your, your leadership. Thank you for having a strong voice for women. And I agree with you. I think uh, you, you'll be back on the uh, in, on the uh, podium soon as we'll uh, be be celebrating um, women's opportunities being increased uh, over what they are right now. Bill is the perfect display of a principled man with integrity, uh, and we certainly need more of those. Our country is lacking of those. Uh, thanks for tuning in today. We are super glad you're here. We hope to see you next time. Make sure you like and comment and subscribe anywhere where you get your podcasts. Check us out at outkick.com. Uh, you see my shirt here. It says Crush Evil. Um, this is actually from the Covenant Rescue Group. Um, this is a group in based in Alabama. They do statewide missions as well as global missions in stopping child sex trafficking and child exploitation. I encourage you to go to their website, covenantrescuegroup.com. Uh, any ways you can support them, it is crucial. Um, of course, we spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about 
the impact of a lot of these cultural move or cultural issues and how they affect women, uh, but understand our most vulnerable are being attacked, and that's the children. Uh, so thank you guys, and we will see you next week.